welcome. Welcome to the Captivate Church podcast. This is Beginning with God. Uh, you are reading and listening and thinking together with a lot of us, Mark's Gospel. Today we're up to Mark chapter 12. Now, if you remember where we are up to the story now, uh, Jesus has entered Jerusalem in the previous chapter. He has come for judgment. He entered on a donkey. He cursed the fig tree and saw it wither away. And he pronounced judgment on those in the temple. Uh, In this particular chapter, we'll be seeing uh, his interactions with the religious leaders of the time, the leaders of Israel. Now, remember, the fig tree, the temple, and Jerusalem, these were images used in the Old Testament to represent the people of Israel. So when we see Jesus interacting with the leaders of Israel, well, we sort of know what's going to happen. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be judgment. And so there's a question. Who then, who then will enter the kingdom that Jesus is bringing if it's not those who are being judged? Have that answer in the back of your mind as we read Mark 12, and I'll start from verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower, leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent his servant to the tenants to get from them some, some of the fruit of the vineyard, and they took him and beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head, and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him, and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants, and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. So they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians so trap, uh, to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no children, a man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven 
brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seventh left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, and with all understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that this Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. That was Mark chapter 12. We will, together, have a think about some observations, questions, and we'll end in prayer. Now, I just realize I didn't pray before, so I'm going to pray that God would help us understand this text. Dear God, we thank you for what we've just read. Help us to hear it with all of our lives 
and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, as we've seen, Jesus is in Jerusalem and he seems to be having this um, long conversation, interaction with the religious leaders of Israel. Uh, First, he says a little parable of the tenants. Now, obviously, even the Pharisees understood that Jesus was telling the story against them. So we see that in verse 12 there. Uh, they perceived that Jesus had told the parable against them, as in, you know, the Pharisees. Now, what was that parable? There's a vineyard, you know, this represented God's kingdom. Um, and then the owner of the vineyard, as in God, uh, sends people um, to, to collect the fruits. Interesting, fruits. Collect fruits of those who are taking care of the vineyard for God. They send people, they get killed. He sends people, they get killed. He sends people, and they get killed. And so God, the owner of the vineyard, says, Okay, I'm going to send my son, my beloved son. Surely they will respect him. The owner of the vineyard, God, sends his son, Jesus, uh-huh, Jesus, into the vineyard, probably the world or uh, God's God's kingdom, Um Actually, I reckon it's Israel, actually. Um, hoping that the son would receive respect. Instead, they kill him. It's interesting, they actually speak to one another. They, they sort of gather together. They connive together, plan together. And together, these people destroy the son. Now, Jesus says this parable to religious leaders and even the Pharisees know interesting even the Pharisees know that the parable is speaking against them of course for us as Christians we know what's going on Jesus is telling us a parable of the history of God sending his prophets to his people uh, Jesus, uh, God sent many prophets many fathers to Israel so that they may live according to God's way not their own and yet they were killed they were uh, they were destroyed they were beaten they were chased out of Israel and so when he sends his son in the parable the son is killed and this parable was told by Jesus uh, for a very specific reason uh, we see it in verse 10 don't we um, because Jesus interprets his own parable uh, with a verse from uh, the Old Testament. Verse 10, Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus is understanding that parable to show that the figure that the leaders of Israel were rejecting, that figure actually turned out to be the cornerstone, the most important stone, a foundation stone. So that's sort of saying to the Pharisees, uh, mate, the people and the person you're rejecting, and actually the person that's being foreshadowed to be killed by you, is actually going to be the cornerstone, the man, the foundation. You have no idea, Pharisees, what you're doing right now, but you are rejecting God. That's what's happening. Now this sort of, you know, the Pharisees being judged and Jesus 
um, speaking the truth. This this continues. It, it, it continues on. You can see there um, the next question that the Pharisees and the Herodians, um, they were people who followed Herod, the sort of, you know, um, what do you call it? The puppet king, you know, back then um, of the Roman Empire. Um, these these figures of leadership they come to Jesus to trap him with words about taxes, you know, but but that sort of fails. And then there's another attempt by the Sadducees to trap Jesus, um, but Jesus again shows that the, the that the Sadducees, just like their friends the Pharisees and the Herodians, they actually don't really understand God's word at all. So we are just getting schlacking after schlacking and schlacking. This verbal judgment is what we're seeing. Jesus has been judging uh, through his donkey riding, his fig tree cursing, and his um, you know chasing out of the temple thingy. But now he's actually focusing his judgment on the people. So I think what, what, what's happening is actually an extension of that judgment picture we get in the previous chapter. That's what's being uh, seen right here. Uh, and then we get to a stage where there's so much sort of, oh man, no one's really understanding God. No one's really seeing Jesus as the Christ. And it is just judgment everywhere. And so it's quite interesting because at this point, things sort of start to change. Like we see this one scribe who asks about the greatest commandment. And we get this aha moment in the Bible, in Mark's gospel. There's a bit of a contrast, you know, it's a sort of a revolving contrast because the sort of, you know, it's not sort of oh, black, then white. It, it seems a lot more as if the shadow of darkness is being chased away gradually by the rising sun. Now, now the reason why it's a sort of gradual contrast is we see first this picture of a faithful Jew, a Jew who understands what's happening. And it's this scribe who's asked this question about what's the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, you know, love God, love your neighbor. Um, and the answer and the reply by the scribe, he says, yes, that is important. Not just that, it is more important than, look at verse 33, uh, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the scribe, he has understood that what's more important than religious ceremonies, you know, burnt offerings, sacrifices, what's more important than that is actually realizing our relationship with God, loving God and loving one another. This, this scribe has understood that what's more important for him and what's actually important for the kingdom of God is not the just just the outward expression of devotion. It's actually a conviction within where the person wants to love God and love neighbor. And that contrast gradually then shows more and more what that looks like. And we get a picture of inner conviction, not just outward expression, but, but, but deep inner conviction in this poor widow who drops two coins uh, into the offertory. Um, here we have just another stark uh, relief of a picture of faithfulness, of deep conviction, 
a picture of a woman who is willing to give her life all that she had, all that she had to live on, right? You know, is what that last verse says. She is willing to give up her life uh, as a way of showing her devotion. Um, I think I think there's 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 something really, you, you know, we we, we we use the word or term simple faith. I think what we mean by that is is not that the faith itself is simple or that. Um, you know, it's sort of like, oh, it's, you know, a child believing in Santa Claus. Oh, isn't that simple faith? You know, it, it, it's definitely not talking about the, the object of faith. So it's not saying that the, um, you know, when, when someone has simple faith, it's not that, um, that the object that they're trusting in, as in God, is somehow simple. Rather, maybe a better way or, or a clearer way of understanding simple faith is is innocent faith or, or um, easily shown faith. Like, they just do it. It's it's like a child. It's quite interesting how Jesus uses children as the metaphor of faithfulness um, in, in the past. You, you tell a child, um, you know, so-and-so, uh, they will they will trust it. They will believe it. Like um, I remember seeing this this joke um, on a on an American TV show where um, someone um, suggests uh, to a new parent says, "Hey, you should actually um, name a table uh, fish." And so um, whenever you see a table, uh, you don't call it a table; you call it fish to your child. And so later on, um, you know, whenever they talk about a table, they'll you know. They'll call it a fish, you know. Please come and sit down at my fish, you know. Can you please put it on this fish? <laughs> it's it's it, it's a joke, but it's a way of showing that, uh, yeah. Children receive things like a sponge; they sort of hear it and they just accept, just just like that. Now, the reason why I bring that up is this widow is a picture of that innocent, simple faith. She expresses it so clearly. She is willing to give up her life. Now that's in stark contrast to the religious leaders of that time who would have spent their whole lives studying and thinking about God's word. Now here, the the first lesson for me, um, and, and this is I think the main point of this text, is to judge Israel and their leaders. That's the first main point. Right, that's what's really going on here in the text. There is a judgment by Jesus on these religious leaders who have misunderstood uh, what is happening. Then there's a you know a a, a um, supplementary sort of point when I think about my life. Um, it it warns me: Do I really know? what it is like to trust in Jesus. Now, that's not a question of, of doubt, right? That, that's a question of self-reflection. I want to be clear. I want to be certain. I want to be honest. That's the utility of that question. What does it really look like for me to trust in Jesus? Do I first respond with my intellect, or do I show that simple, innocent faith of this poor widow? Now, I have to confess, and you know, I, I do it to God, that there are many times where I use my intellect, or, or you know, I, I might sort of, um, 
yeah, jump straight to, oh, you know, uh, predestination or, you know, oh, let's think about that theologically or, you know, sort of yeah, using my mind uh, a lot more than actually just being honest. Um, there is one thing that, that, that I'm sort of um, praying that will never happen for me um, and I also pray that it will never happen for you where we study the Bible and we are so immersed in the Bible and all, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, God's theology is very big. You know, it's, it's God we're talking about. But we are so enamored almost, um, obsessed with complexities and interesting details of the text, we actually forget it's meant to bring us to our knees to God. I think that, that that's one thing that I'm really afraid of uh, for, for myself, Um as a healthy fear, you know, um, being known as the guy who knows or speaks like he knows rather than the man who humbly repents. I think that is the greatest fear of any Christian leader. Um, and so if, yeah, that's that's something that I really need to be careful of. And, and, and please, I ask you to pray for me that I would not be just someone who speaks outwardly and presents outwardly about Christ, but also someone who is serious about his own sin and comes to uh, God with all honesty. I think, please, really do pray for that. Uh, that's something that, that me and Alan and, and, and the elders really need pray for. Um, I think it's also a, a, a really good chance for, for all of us to reflect on how we express our faith. How, how, how simple and innocent is it? Um, does it sort of just, yep, I understand, that's what I need to do. Okay, let's be honest with God here. That's what I need to do. Like, like, do we do that, or, or, or do we at times respond with, you know, obfuscation within our own minds? Oh, yes, but really, you know, in this case, oh, but does the Greek really say that? You know, um, where we use our knowledge and our, our capacity to get out of tough situations, um, you know, wriggling out of actual truths. Do, like, is that how we respond? And, and, and I want to speak uh, specifically to, to those who are in teaching ministries, who spend a lot of time in the Word. Um, when you're thinking about the kid spot for the Sunday, when you're about to think about a song choice um, for the service, when you're preparing for Engage or your Gospel Communities, or maybe you're about to give a talk this Sunday, Whatever situation you are in, and you are deep in God's word and obsessed, you know, obsessively, like you're that's part of the job that you need to do. How much of it does it strike you first? What is your response to reading the Bible before you teach it? Let us, friends, beware of making the same mistake that the Pharisees did, they showed their sinful unbelief. When they heard God's word. When they heard God's word, they rejected him. When they met God's king, they rejected him. When we hear God's word, when we see Jesus Christ in the text, when we have to approach, oh, sorry, when God demands to be approached by us, what is our response to the text? How do we respond to him? Uh, let us not be like the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel, but rather instead have that simple and honest faith that this widow has. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for myself because I I feel quite convicted by this. I need to be honest with God. 
and I hope you can be also. Let's pray. Dear God, honestly, we are sinful people. We are immoral in our thinking and in our actions. We are evil in our desires. We do things that we should not be doing and we don't do things that we should be doing. There is no health within us, no way for us to have life. In fact, all of our efforts seem to be going and leading toward our death. Father, and yet you are so kind and compassionate, gracious and merciful. And so we ask that you would help us to find great joy and comfort knowing that there is salvation in you. Help us, Father, to trust in you and to express that simple, innocent and honest faith just like this poor widow did. Father, please protect us, especially us teachers, and help us not to be just outward expressions of godliness, but inward transformations that have, have, have happened because of what you have done for us on the cross. Father, this Easter may be a reminder of how gracious you are to us, and may it be a compelling point in our life where we can take steps for maturity. And in Jesus' name, Amen. That was Mark chapter 12, tomorrow's 13, and we will continue going on the road with Jesus to the cross. I'll see you around.